Welcome to the first episode of Breathtaking Conversations, a place for breathwork, freediving, human potential, and discussions on being an entrepreneur in the health and wellness industry. My name is Lucas Osorio, Master Instructor on the Oxygen Advantage Breathing Method, freediver, lecturer, and digital nomad. In this episode, I have a conversation with Dr. Paul Sly, chiropractor and certified Oxygen Advantage Master Instructor, trained by the founder and author Patrick McKinnon. Paul has a general practice where he treats an active population of people from all walks of life, from children to adults, including weekend workers, NHL hockey players, professional and elite level power lifters, the strong men and strong women competitors. Paul uses functional breathing and wellness education and techniques to help individuals, organizations and corporations reduce stress, anxiety and burnout and increase focus, attention, and mental and physical performance, improving the health of the individual and the organization. This interview was recorded for the Oxygen Advantage as part of a series of interviews that I made to different experts who share perspectives around breathing. Enjoy. Hello, Hi, Lucas. How are you doing? I'm fine. What about you? I'm good. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly. Can you hear me? I can. That's great. Great. People, if you can hear us well, please let us know and send a lot of hearts, a lot of love. Those hearts uh, will let us that more people know about this conversation. That will be very, very exciting. This guy have a lot of knowledge and I know he will provide us with the best of the have. And how is everything in Canada today? It's great. Fair warning. I'm I'm sitting outside and it's wonderful. We've had a lot of humidity here and there is a thunderstorm watch right now. So one, I may have to race inside. Two, I hope it doesn't create any technical problems, but hopefully we'll get through this without any trouble that way. I don't think so. Let's cross our fingers. Everything will be perfect. Great. This conversation. Okay, guys. Well, uh, my name is Lucas Osorio, Master Instructor at the Oxygen Advantage and your host today. And Patrick McKeown, our founder and director of the Oxygen Advantage, say, the best gift we can give to people is the tools to empower themselves. And me and all the Oxygen Advantage team, we are here to give you those tools to the superpower of breathing. And Paul is part of our family, actually. He's Master Instructor. He's chiropractor. And you work with acupuncture, right? Too. I I use a yeah variety of modalities plus the breathing. Yeah, I see that. And for how long has you been um, teaching the oxygen advantage and Buteco? Because you work with Buteco too. Yeah, both certifications. So we got got interested in in breathing four or five years ago. Um, certified as an oxygen advantage instructor a few years ago and a master instructor for about the last year, a little under the last year. So it's it's been a great tool to add to to everything that I use in my practice and and uh, just has, has resulted in some fantastic um, changes in people. So it's it's a great, great tool. Uh, how you get to breathing? I mean, a lot of chiropractors doesn't go have the focus on that, but you decide to go that way. Why? Yeah, I you know, I, I think that initially what what was more the 
two things was the performance side. Um, I don't even remember where I first saw the book, The Oxygen Advantage, but once I read that, it, it really clicked for me the importance of using breathing techniques for performance in the simulated altitude, especially. But I probably use it more now on a day to day basis in, in dealing with people that are having pain. And so it's, but, but a fair bit of both. I mean, I, I work with pain i work with pain prevention i work with performance enhancement and uh and and so the 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 breathing really dovetails really well into all of those um it, it it's important i think you know one of the things that i noticed in in my own life which really kind of got me interested was that i was running around from room to room and, and in a hurry during the day and and finding myself out of breath and so making those changes functional breathing in my own life made a difference to the way that i was able to practice and perform and 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 i think we take that for granted and it is one of the challenges for me uh, in terms of working on my own breathing is that I talk all day and that of course is a form of hyperventilating and, and causes some issues. So the exercises help me to counter that as well. But so, so kind of personal interest and, and the performance enhancement aspect and yeah. And how has been the work with athletes? Because you work with hockey players, weightlifters. Yeah. And you think the breathing uh, did a change in the way you were with these people. Huge. And, and I, I think that, and this gets overlooked so much. I mean, I, I think that the, the whole breathing aspect and people think of it only as the training, but um, with hockey players, it really comes down to the, the two aspects. There's, there's the functional breathing and training, the simulated altitude and especially repeat sprint ability, which I use a lot. And, and in fact, I, I, I haven't seen anybody else do it. I think I'm the only one that's done the repeat sprint ability on the ice. So having the, having the players and there was some video in my IG feed, I think of that where, uh, we did 40 meter sprints on skates on the ice and then the 30 second rest and, and doing that repeat sprint ability. And that's a great tool. And of course, in war on studies was shown to be superior to high intensity interval training for, for the training effect and, and less injury risk with that than, than in, in traditional high intensity interval training. Um, so that is a really good tool, but, but also what gets overlooked with, um, athletic performance especially is is the cognitive aspect of it and so especially with sports like soccer hockey basketball uh, where where players are working hard and starting to hyperventilate um, a lot of times if they're not even just aware of the importance of trying to restore that breathing to nasal breathing as opposed to maintaining mouth breathing and and the hyperventilation is decreasing the cerebral blood flow and so they're not not cognitively performing as well as they could, never mind physically. So I, I think that that is a really important aspect of, of the athletic performance. With the weightlifting, of course, there's the whole core bracing and we'll I'm sure get into that a little bit and and how um, nasal breathing and, and having better diaphragmatic activation is is of course a benefit for that um, so it makes a big difference with with both of those primary sports that I work with people in yeah 
That's great. You see, it's not just about the body. It's the performance of the mind that is very, very important here. So breathing can be a game changer for sports performance. And in his new book, The Breathing Cure, Patrick have a whole chapter just focus on uh, breathing and functional movement. And I want to ask you, why functional breathing is the secret of functional movement? I think that's a good question. So I, I, you know, it's a fabulous question. Really goes to the crux of it, doesn't it? And and I think that maybe it might be helpful to define a few of these terms initially, so that we're we're on the same page and and that you understand where I'm coming from, because some of these terms are are kind of nebulous and there's no real set definition. You know, when we talk about functional movement, um, you'll often see definitions that talk about uh, um, any real world movement, multi-planar, multi-joint movements um, that, that are within the normal range of motion of the human body. I, I think that really what we're talking about is movement in such a way that it maximizes coordination, uh, balance, strength and power and minimizes injury risk which is always a factor with any movement. So I, I think that that really goes to the idea of functional movement. Functional breathing, really, we have a much better definition of, especially in the oxygen advantage, where we're talking about a focus in functional breathing on the biochemistry, on the biomechanics, and on the psychophysiology or cadence of breathing. And all three of those, I think there's a temptation to think only about the diaphragm in terms of biomechanics and, and functional movement, but uh, that's far from, from the truth. The other two components are extremely important to functional movement. And, and then the third definition that I, I think is, is important to look at and maybe is the most nebulous of, of all three is what is the core? And when we talk about the core, you know, years ago and, and still hopefully this doesn't need to be said now that we're past it, but it, it likely does that the core is not just your abdominal muscles or worse yet, just your transversus abdominis. Um, that used to be the case, and many people would think that way, and, and Patrick points this out in the book. Um, Stu McGill, uh, one of the premier researchers in this area, makes the point that there's just no science behind that idea that it's only the anterior portion of the abdomen. Um, more classically, the core, we're talking about the area between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor, and then posteriorly, the spine and the intrinsic muscles there, and then the abdominal muscles at the front. So it is that 360-degree structure, if you want to think of it as a barrel, maybe, that, that forms the, the core in, in classical terms. Now, I like to think about the core in terms of the whole area between the shoulders and the hips. And, and I think that if you, you could spend a whole hour on this too, but there could be a case to be made to include the neck and the head in that. But at the very least, I think that what, what we're talking about in the core, what I am usually thinking about is this, the stabilization of your thorax and your abdomen and your pelvis in order to generate force through your arms and through your legs. I, I see somebody mentioning, I'd say the whole body is your core. And that, that's certainly true to a large extent. But when you think about bracing, 
to have the ability to to generate force through the arms and the legs, whether you're pushing, pulling, throwing, or, or running, jumping, uh, that old saying that if you don't have a really stable core, uh, that's that movements like that are like trying to fire a cannon out of a canoe, and that's very true. I mean, everything goes everywhere, and so you 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 need to be. Uh, and when we think about the thorax too, and and think about the shoulders through to the core. Or, um, through to the abdomen and through to the pelvis, certainly to to move your arms. If you think about a traditional bench press, that scapulothoracic joint needs to be stable. Your your shoulder blades need to be locked onto your rib cage, and and that rib cage is so important to to breathing. And so I I think that that. Um, you know, what has been missed over the years, and, and Patrick makes the point in the breathing cure, is that central to that core stabilization, whether you're thinking about thorax, abdomen, and pelvis, or just abdomen and pelvis, is, is the recruitment of the diaphragm and, and having a strong diaphragm. And we'll talk a little bit about that that strength as opposed to just the recruitment. Um, but that, that really is central to stabilizing. If you're not using your your diaphragm properly if you're not recruiting it really well if the breathing is primarily mouth and upper chest you're not getting that stabilization and and so no not only can you not generate full force and power but you're you're going to be at greater injury risk without that activation so i think that's really the interplay between breathing and functional movement and when you uh, look at functional movement and, and assessment of functional movement, one of the things that comes into that, again, with breathing is uh, if you if you look at any static posture or motion, if you can't breathe well through that, if you can't take a nasal breath and recruit the diaphragm in that posture or in that movement, then you really don't own that movement or that posture and so it, it's central breathing affects your your posture and your movement your posture and movement of course affects your breathing and so there's there's a huge interplay there that's great yeah the core is like a mechanism that dance together you move your diaphragm even the pelvic floor is moving and as you say and a lot of people is saying that the whole body is the core and that's completely true but if you look at breathing not just about the movement of the diaphragm but how lungs give form to the body so that's very important not just for sports because as you said even when you sit you need core strength so it's not just about physical performance it's about how the whole a body works okay so um i mean something that i even is in the book how our bodies and necks right from the hand to the toes but the center the the the, the middle of that x is the diaphragm yeah. right the diaphragm and every movement borns from there and what why you think people is not more focus on breathing when they think about all these things right now. I just think there hasn't been the information out there. I I mean, and and that's one of the things that I think 
Patrick, among others, has brought to the forefront is that that focus on breathing. We take it for granted because it it happens automatically and you don't have to think about it. And so it it it's just kind of completely taken for granted. To your point, um, two things. I, I noticed somebody mentioned about the feet, and that is, interestingly, one of the notes that I have down. Uh, when you're talking about functional movement, uh, I'm pretty passionate about going barefoot as well and using i've been strictly barefoot shoes except for the occasional work boot for several years now and and yeah and that's been a huge difference and and then you can get into that connection to the ground and grounding as well but just from a mechanical standpoint um you know we we have the same amount of sensory receptors in our feet as we do in our hands and and if you look at that motor if, if you look at the sensory homunculus i was just listening to one of the Huberman Lab podcasts yesterday where he was talking about how the lips and the face and, and the hands and the feet and the genitals, of course, have the largest representation. But we we forget about the feet just as much as we do about breathing. And, and, and that we have the same amount of sensory receptors in the feet. And yet from a very early age, from a baby, really, we put an inch of foam under there and, and we don't develop that that connection we don't develop that sensory ability and so you know then we wonder why people as they age have difficulty with balance and and seniors have a lot of issues with falling well, one of the problems there is that we don't have that connection and 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 that stability that that starts at the feet and works right up through the pelvis and the diaphragm um i so i i, I think that that's all really important um i i went on a tangent on the feet and now i've forgotten what the original question that you asked me was but yeah but it's great what you say it's a lack of, of information but the, the the i mean the main question is the information is out there right the studies are out there this is not new it's not something new no way yeah I mean, what Patrick is doing right now is putting everything together. So if you want to get more information about this, of course, follow us here. But you can get the oxygen advantage and the breathing cure that is now in the United States. The new edition of the breathing cure in the United States is available now. And we have a whole chapter of a functional breathing and functional movement. And that way, I think, this information, this conversation actually is very important because people outside, uh, other chiropractors and uh, people that work with people can give this information and start changing lives because that's what we want to do. Give you the tools to empower yourselves of your own body through your breath. Okay. And well, there is interesting studies about how these uh, people that can move better, that have Better functional movement are diaphragmatic breathings. And how nose is connected with diaphragm? Why is important, important nose breathing for functional movement? Yeah, you, you know, that really is so central to everything. And, and if, if people did nothing but restore nasal breathing most of the time, um, that would make a huge difference. And, and, and there's, so there's a couple of aspects that come to mind immediately when you talk about functional movement and nasal breathing. And, and number one is that nasal breathing, of course, activates your diaphragm. 
And whereas with mouth breathing, you got a lot work a lot harder to, to get that diaphragm moving the way that it should, but your nose has the direct connection. And so nasal breathing activates your diaphragm. And, and one of the things that I've worked continuously with a lot of the power lifters that, that we do work with is that, that, that core bracing, even when you're doing a Valsalva, that breath hold, inhale and breath hold, when you're doing maximum lifts, maximal lifts, if if you can use the nose to do that final breath, then you're getting better diaphragmatic activation and, and better stabilization of the core with that intra-abdominal pressure, of course, that happens with the diaphragm contracting and moving down. The other aspect with functional movement, of course, is that the increased resistance of nasal breathing is what keeps the pressure up. And so you're, you, you don't, I always think about mouth breathing as, as you're puncturing the balloon, you're letting all the, the pressure out. But if you can maintain nasal breathing, you're keeping a certain amount of, of pressure up because it's a smaller aperture. You, you've got less or you're keeping that pressure up. And so I, I think that that, that goes to the core stabilization. Um, you know, what you mentioned, I, I, I realized where I was going before when I got on the foot tangent, which, which plays into this as well, the nasal breathing and activating the diaphragm. Um, and you you said it basically, but that diaphragm really is central, um, not only in a in a metaphysical way, but but your diaphragm sitting where it does above the abdominal viscera with your pericardium directly connected to the diaphragm, um, that really is the meeting point that that's the meeting point of the musculoskeletal system, the digestive system, the respiratory system, the nervous system everything meets at that diaphragm and 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 we know that the the diaphragmatic one of the nice things that happens with diaphragmatic breathing is that you're you're getting vagus nerve stimulation as well and mm -hmm. and it's easier to relax and and so but but again i i think that one of the you know it's always useful to think about going back to the basics in these things and and with functional movement and one of the things that that patrick does highlight in that chapter and and we don't tend to think about it at all is the effect of the biochemistry on on muscle function and on muscle movement and and sort of the classic um if i could go through this i end up talking and you gotta you gotta get a word in edgewise here if you need to I'm lucas here. but i'm here to make you talk <laughs> you you won't have any trouble with that <laughs> so when we're when we're talking about functional movement i mean a, a really good illustration of that the, the effect of the biochemistry is if you just take that classic toe touch so we should be able to stand with our feet together hinge at the hip shift your weight backwards and go down fingertips to toes that's a that's a functional that's a basic functional movement that's something that we should be able to do and of course many people aren't able to do that and, and it's for a variety of reasons but if all you did was test that, and, and people might do it now, uh, if you are not able to touch your toes in that respect, and I see this all the time, just have the individual do short breath holds for two to three minutes. 
honestly, short breath holds, I think, are the most overlooked and underutilized exercise in this entire arsenal. But if you just get those people to do short breath holds for two or three minutes, a five-second breath hold, or up to 50% of your bolt score, if you know what that is, uh, just get that carbon dioxide level up a little bit, two or three minutes, and then repeat the test. And Often, often it will increase or even become a functional movement now. And so what have you done? You haven't put your hands on the person. You haven't touched the muscle. You haven't stretched anything. All you've done is increase the partial pressure of CO2. And as we know, CO2 is a vasodilator. CO2 is the driving force to get oxygen from the hemoglobin into the tissue. So that muscle is functioning better. And all of a sudden that toe touch is better. So now we, we can talk there about respiration rate too, but I want to do a, a first question because I think I, I had this question, this question a lot. And it's when you are waiting, a lift waiting, you know, you take this inhale and hold, but it's not just about that, but have a very uh, movement of the diaphragm because I read in the breathing cure that Patrick mentioned that maybe it's even better to breathe freely with the diaphragm instead of doing the breath hold. What do you think there? What is your thoughts about that? You know, I, it, it would be, it's a great question. And, and it's one that I have not seen. I don't think that they have really nailed this down yet. And so here's what I think. I think that when you're talking about an exercise where you're doing max reps, um, I think that if, if you're talking a lot of, of CrossFit exercises, um, where you're not at maximal effort, you're not lifting maximal weight, certainly you need to be taking oxygen in and, and expelling carbon dioxide and there needs to be a continual breathing. And so, and, and I think that, and, and uh, I think it's Josephine Kay has done most of the studies. I think that's who it is in, in this respect. And I would like to see more, um, but I, I think that that's important and, and that, that uh, stabilization is dynamic then. So you're, you're getting good movement of the diaphragm and, and there's a dynamic stabilization The weight lifters, um, if you're looking at an elite power lifter, I mean, I, I, they, there's several that I work with who are deadlifting and squatting 700 pounds plus. Uh, I'm not comfortable having them and neither are they breathe continuously through that movement. So I think when you're, when you're getting to that maximal effort, I, I think that that Valsalva maneuver is still the gold standard. And, and it, but I think what's important there is that that breath needs to be nasal and you can train yourself to do that. It, it's not like, like training nasal breathing with running or any other aerobic exercise. It doesn't happen overnight. You, you need to work your way into that. Um, I, some of the power lifters would start taking that breath with their nose and then draw in a little bit of breath with the mouth if they need to fill that out, if they need to get that extra stabilization. And then ultimately they'll work towards being able to get that full stabilization with only a nasal breath. 
Don't forget either, um, again, when you're thinking about the biochemistry component of this, that you're also harnessing nitric oxide when you're using that nasal breath as opposed to a mouth breath. And if ever you want that bolus of nitric oxide coming in, it's when you're lifting, you know, squatting or deadlifting, that kind of weight. And so I think that that's an important component too, but, but that's an interesting one. And, and I think it, it will evolve and there's a lot of different opinions on it, but, but I think certainly when you're, when you're getting to that maximal lift, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still much more comfortable having them do the valve salve and the breath hold, but learning, especially when there's, when there's high rep exercises to, to make that stabilization more of a dynamic thing. I, I think you're, okay. quite, you're I really right. wanted to ask you that because I had that question and I, I think your thoughts are very important on that. And okay. Coming back to carbon dioxide, the small breath holds exercise is very simple. You just take an omelet in, omelet out, but Pinch your nose, hold your breath for five, four, three, two, one, and you breathe normally for 10 seconds and then you do it again. You can do that for three, four, five minutes, and that's a very relaxing, a give you a small doses of carbon dioxide, and as a pulse said, can have an effect even in, in your body. So it's very, very interesting to see that because as you said, a a lot of us think that it's not the most important exercise, but but can bring uh, important changes in us. Okay, about carbon dioxide, about a respiration rate, not in weightlifting, but for normal life. Why is important to have um, a diminish your chemosensitivity to carbon dioxide, and how uh, your respiration rate play a role in your movement and your life? So I, I, I think again that when we, when we think about going back to the basics with all of this, um, the basics really is increasing that bolt score. And, um, there are very few aspects, I think, of, of human function or human performance that are not going to be made better by having a, a, a better relationship to carbon dioxide, a lower sensitivity, a higher tolerance to carbon dioxide. Um, so I, I think that you, you're getting more into the realm of muscle function, good muscle function, um, that the, the higher, when, when we can maintain that, that higher level of carbon dioxide. And as, as I mentioned a little while ago, that's your, that's the vasodilation. That's your increased oxygenation to the tissues, including the brain. Um, not, we always think about muscle and, and, and tendon tissue when we're talking about functional movement. But, but of course, that effect on the brain is really important as well. So I think that, it, you know, it, anything is made better by having a higher bolt score, by having a lower sensitivity to carbon dioxide, but that increased oxygenation of the tissues, I think, um, think back to if, if you're involved with the oxygen advantage, think back to that oxyhemoglobin curve and, and the Bohr effect. Um, 
you're just getting better oxygenation of the tissues and better function of the tissues. And there have been some nice studies, again, that are highlighted, a couple of them in the breathing cure that talk about both carbon dioxide sensitivity um, and diaphragmatic activation affecting balance and coordination. Um, even visual spatial tasks, I think, although that may have been a study specific to nasal breathing, I think that there was one done at the Wiseman Institute where just nasal breathing increased visual spatial tasks by quite a bit. And, and that a lot of athletics, that's what it is. It's that visual spatial task. So another kind of reason to be that it's all of that. It's the nose, it's the diaphragm, it's the chemosensitivity. And does that kind of answer that question? I, I yeah, think it, it's, totally. Uh, and, and even with the carbon dioxide, I think another aspect that is very important is the psychophysiological aspect of carbon dioxide and the way the carbon dioxide stimulates the vagus nerve and the production of acetylcholine. And you can reduce your heart rate just uh, having a good um, relationship with the carbon dioxide. And that's very important for athletes too. If you have you need to perform. You need your mind, your mind to work better. And diaphragmatic breathing, carbon dioxide play a very important role on that. So what do you think that, um, how functional breathing can affect an athlete's mind and of general population mind and levels of anxiety and stress? Led, it's huge. I mean, that, that of course, I think is, is where it's all at. And, and that goes to the question. I, I think, is it, is it when you're thinking about anxiety, um, stress, just the everyday things that we all go through, is it psychological or is it physiological? And, you know, traditionally, that's always been thought of as, as psychological issues. Well, I, I, there's a good case to be made that it's, they're really more physiological issues than they are psychological. I, I, I think it, there's that beautiful description, um, in, in Nestor's book, I think about, um, how people who have suffered brain damage of the particular part of the brain where they don't sense fear and there are some wild stories about what they will do uh, because they just don't have a sense of fear in, in any respect except if they put an, a mask on them and increase the carbon dioxide level but by golly they feel fear and they won't do it again they don't really understand what it is but there's a real so that that um, that primitive brain, what, what my wife likes to call the male lizard brain, that, that senses fear from carbon dioxide, right? That's, that's, and, and it, without having the, the cognition and thinking about fear, there's a fear response there and, and that's physiological. And so I, I think that that having a better relationship again to carbon dioxide really makes a huge difference with that. And, and, and again, that's where some of those, you know, often people that I see who have issues with anxiety and stress. I mean, those short breath holds make the biggest difference for them. And they're, they're incredibly accessible. Um, 
people have a hard time, unfortunately, finding time to do simulated altitude and spend even just 10 minutes, you know, do, doing the functional breathing, which could just pay dividends. But but those short breath holds can be done really anywhere, anytime. And even ideally, of course, with pinching the nose, but you can do them without if you're in a situation where you don't want somebody to know or you feel self-conscious about that, um, you can do those breath holds without pinching your nose. It, it's always better. I tell people if you can pinch yeah. your nose and, and or counting paces, you can do it walking. You don't sure. count five seconds, or but you can count ten paces walking, and you don't have to do this. So people won't think you're crazy. But it's very accessible, as you said. And it, if you please continue, joy and 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 even the the with the functional breathing, we just mentioned, you know, doing ten minutes of functional breathing, doing ten minutes of functional breathing before going to sleep of course can make a huge difference and and that dovetails to functional movement no, nothing works well if we don't sleep well right so um, you know that that effect of of functional breathing on sleep is is a huge a huge issue yeah and if you can cope better with stress i mean if you have less anxiety you can perform better in any aspects of your life and i want to touch another very important topic and it's reading and pain because you know you work with pain and how a dysfunctional breathing can exacerbate pain and the perception of pain what is the relationship there yeah and and i think that it it a lot of it um and you're starting to see more studies. And I, I think, Patrick, the, the chapter following the functional movement, he talks about pain. And, and there's, there's a couple of different issues there. I think one of them goes back to the carbon dioxide sensitivity and um, having poor, um, having a high reaction to carbon dioxide, having a, having a low tolerance to carbon dioxide seems to make pain sensitivity a little bit worse. Um, certainly I see that in, in my, that's, that's more, um, that, that's not a, a randomized controlled clinical trial. I'm just noticing that people who have a low bolt score will tend to have higher pain scale ratings. Um, I, I think that that's probably the case. Um, so that's one, and and I, I believe that that Patrick talks about some studies in there that that do look at CO two, but also I I think that that whole um, issue of of vagus nerve stimulation about relaxation. Um, if you're more relaxed, if you can, and you, they've been doing this for years to breathe into the pain um, it, it, and, and just sort of prolonging that exhale, um, having a better vasovagal tone, having, having a, a more, more parasympathetic, um, you know, we're wired that once we get, once we get into sympathetic dominance, we're more focused and less able to see the big picture. Some of that focus is is sensory as well. And so I, I think that that kind of heightens the pain perception. And so um, it, both the chemosensitivity, I think, affects pain and that, that level of parasympathetic and, and sympathetic activation affects pain level. Um, if, if you can get people to relax, uh, uh, that's easier said than done, of course, but some of these tools are, are good windows into, into yeah. 
being able Definitely. to and even the diaphragm sometimes uh, people have a back pain because they don't work with the diaphragm and the the body have to compensate and start using the muscles they you don't have to use to stabilize the core the, 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 the body and some pain can come and have the root in this functional movement right because sure. one of the first things I see with people that start working with functional movement is the lower back pain just start to diminish or just you can say goodbye to that pain and that's amazing and and that's a huge i i think that that goes directly to stabilization to activating the diaphragm for stabilization and then um on the flip side and and i see this in my practice every day people who are mouth and upper chest breathers we're just not meant to use these muscles with every breath and so that causes them to get tightened up and and you end up with a lot of dysfunction and neck and upper chest and upper back pain from that 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 can be eliminated by and large by just not activating those muscles with every breath as they should not be the other side to that is the with headaches and and two things with headaches one when you start to get really tight in those upper cervical muscles that will directly trigger headaches in a lot of cases but beyond that also then the the going back to the chemosensitivity um you know when you're if you're hyperventilating and you've got a low um, pco2 low co2 in the blood you're not getting the cerebral perfusion and and that can cause headaches now like you have to be careful with but people who are prone to uh, migraine headaches, especially um, in in integrating simulated altitude, because that change in cerebral blood flow can can trigger that. And so, uh, but but more often, I think the issue is that 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 um, hyperventilating the low um, carbon dioxide saturation, and and you're not getting that that cerebral blood flow. So, guys, fix your breathing before going and move. That's important, okay? It's not just about the muscles. It's about what is happening in all your body in the three dimensions. Biochemical, psychophysiological, and biomechanical. That's important to to understand your body uh, from those three aspects and your reading especially. And before we go to questions and answers, guys, I'm checking your questions. Don't worry, we will answer them all. Um, I want you, because this is maybe a very basic question, but I think a lot of people struggle to understand this, how a diaphragmatic breathing must be, must look like. Because we tend to think it's uh, taking the belly out and in, and it's, it's not that. It's more than that. Can you explain us a little bit about that? Yeah, and I and I think the the problem with that a lot of times is, uh, and that's what we used to do, hand on the belly. But you can hold your breath and make your belly move in and out. You you can fake that, and and even subconsciously, if if I tell you, well, moving your belly, well, and, and this goes to the whole, you know, when we talk about belly breathing, of course. 
air can only come into the lungs and out of the lungs. It's the movement of the diaphragm that affects the belly. You're not pulling air in, into the belly, but um, that the, the best way to feel it, of course, and, and the way that we teach it now is hands at your sides, at the lower rib, um, if you're sitting or if you're standing. So the web between your thumb and your finger is on that lower rib, thumbs towards the spine, fingers towards the belly button. You can't really fake that lateral expansion. So as you breathe in, you should feel your hands move out. And as you breathe out, you feel your hands move in. Uh, whereas with your belly, if you put your hand there, and if you just show that now, I mean, you can push that in and out using your abdominal muscles, but you can't really fake that lateral expansion of the rib cage. And so that's when we know that we're getting a good diaphragmatic activation. If you take that a step further, um, you know, and this one gets overlooked, but lying face down, lying on your tummy and just having a towel roll maybe under the forehead so you're straight down. Um, if you're breathing with nice diaphragmatic recruitment, you'll feel your belly push into the ground. Um, if you just put a little weight, a two and a half pound weight or a book on your lumbar spine in, in the low back, you, you'll feel, because this is a 360 degree expansion, you've got a little bit of expansion there as well. And so lying on your stomach with a little bit of weight on the back, you should feel that 360 degree expansion. So that's how you know that you're activating that diaphragm. I think that you and I, um, in the instructor uh, Zoom meeting that we did, we talked about too, that sometimes overlooked that little exercise where um, to activate the diaphragm, to feel what the diaphragm movement is like, um, is to take a breath in through your nose, out through your nose, pinch your nose, keep your mouth closed, and then try to take air in and out through your nose without letting any go. And, and it, you will feel your diaphragm, or you'd better feel your diaphragm. That's what I'm you're using trying to... that one a lot. Really. Yeah. All my students can say that. I use that exercise a lot, and I even develop uh, a routine with that exercise because you can, uh, using chemosensitivity, because you are holding your breath, and moving the diaphragm and they can start feeling it. It's amazing. Thank you for that. Yeah. Our yeah. Of yeah. It, it, it's a great one. And, and even just get your fingers in under your rib cage and, 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 and breathe. And, and you should feel that your, your diaphragm will push your fingers out of there. Yeah. yeah. It's like these guys. You inhale in and out, pitch. And you can see how the diaphragm moves. You can even feel it inside. It's amazing. Thank you for that and explaining that. And okay, I think it's time for questions and answers. Okay, we have a few of them. Well, are you ready for this? <laughs> okay. Uh, easy friends say 100% your feet are part of it. Darkest diaphragms in your feet have a huge effect in your PF. I don't know what PF is, but okay. Um, Rafael Maldonado, Mindflow says, it's crazy if you think about fascia, diaphragm, and autonomic nervous system. Uh, John Novick says, it's so Janovic, during workout, we should both inhale and exhale through nose. Pilates yes. example. Yes. Um, I mean, that, that, that goes to, now I, I do like to use the one caveat. I like the idea of, of breathing gears and, just to get 
the notion that um, you know, gear one, gear two, gear three is nasal in and nasal out, but they get a little stronger. So gear one, where you're not working very hard, it's really quiet. That breathing should be quiet, nasal in, nasal out. And then you kind of get power nasal in and nasal out as you start to work a little bit harder. Then you step it up to power nasal in, power nasal out, but it's still nasal in and nasal out. Now, at that point, if you're butting up against the anaerobic threshold, as you cross that, now you may need to breathe, and this would be for short periods when you're in maximal effort, nasal in, mouth out. And then full out gear five would be mouth in and mouth out, but that's going to be a really short period. And I, I think what's important to note in that is to walk it back through those stages as, because what most people do is once they start mouth breathing, they just keep mouth breathing. And, and, and again, think about the cognitive aspect of performance and, and especially, especially athletic performance. You want that you spend 30 seconds in that state hyperventilating, you're really decreasing your cerebral blood flow. So you, you want to get that walked back into nasal breathing as quickly as you can. And of course, the better trained you are and the more you've done this, the, the easier it is to do that. But um, so there is a time and a place for mouth breathing, but it's small, <laughs> not, yeah, not exactly. a lot. Yeah. And understanding that needs practice. So you need to know your body. You know exactly when you have to open your mouth. Very good. Okay. Um, Rafael Maldonado Mindful says, uh, there's no point to use mouth breathing. I don't know Pilates teaches this nasal inhale and mouth exhale. There's no point. Okay. Um, okay. Gabby Santarriaga from Mexico, one of my students, she wanted to ask that we tell her about neck position. Next position. Can you talk a little bit about that? So I I think I if if we're talking about static posture and and postural exercises, and of course this is a huge issue. And you know, I luckily I'm face on here and not to the side because I spend my whole life bent over a table. And um, people, especially now working from home, are spending so much time looking down and forward. And the problem there, of course, is for um, and I think I've got the numbers right about every five degrees of flexion forward, those posterior muscles work about 20% harder just to hold your head upright. And so we want to try to, at least at various times through the day, work on those on on that posture and and especially on those posterior muscles and and one of the things one of the exercises that i get people to do all the time is what are sometimes called turkey tucks or and and the way that i explain it is if you think about standing in front of a mirror and i told you to give yourself a second chin so you're not tilting down or tilting up you're retracting straight back and so you can like hold that. Heaven. Yes, yes, yes. Not, not, yeah. not ducking down, but but retracting back, and and even maybe adding in the the subtle thought of of pulling your shoulder blades into your back pocket. 
So you, you, you activate that posterior chain and, and hold that for five seconds. Don't jut your jaw back forward, just relax it and then repeat that a few times and, and work up in the length of time that you do it. So that neck, I mean, I suppose optimal posture, if you're looking at somebody from the side, your, your ear is over your shoulders, over your hip is over your ankle. Um, but, but just to get out of that forward head posture and try to get the head back, I think, and, and that opens up the airway, of course. I mean, this is not a good, this is, this is an exhalation posture, but not an inhalation posture. Um, if you look up to the sky, the natural inclination is to take a breath in. If you bend forward, the natural inclination is to let a breath out. And, and people that get stuck in those postures then have difficulty with one or the other. And, and so you want to counter that thoracic mobility is just as important as, as cervical. I mean, working, um, using a foam roller and doing some, some each segment extending over that. Um, so you're lying on your back with the foam roller under the spine and you just work your way down and, and, and let that breath out as you extend back over the roller. And, and so work on that extension. Um, there's so much focus on the anterior muscles and everything that we do is pulling us forward that, you know, we need to work that posterior chain a little bit. Um, I yeah, hope that. I complement that. Uh, another important point for neck posture is the tongue. The yeah. tongue play a very important role. It must be in the in the natural resting position in the roof of the mouth, and that will help with stabilization there. Absolutely. It, it, yeah. And, and they've even done some neat little, um, I'm, I'm not sure it's ever been done in a real organized way, but, but checking strengths when you have the tongue resting against the roof of your mouth. I, I even heard it, um, described once as, as, um, completing the microcosmic orbit. You, you get into these sort of notions, but, but yeah, that tongue sitting against the roof of your mouth. And, and, uh, um, I think Patrick talks a lot about the, um, the gentleman that he, a, a physician, I think in Italy described coming across a patient that was having difficulty walking and, and the, the doctor had them just stop and close their mouth and, and put the tongue against the roof of the mouth and, and the gait improved. So, yeah. Yeah, it's important that one. Okay. Uh, is the breathing cure ever going to be on audible? audible? Yeah, it will. We will let you know. Don't worry. We'll do it. We'll be. Okay, can we do nasal breathing while playing tennis? Of course. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Again, considering those gears um, towards the end of a set, you may be, if, if it's lasting long enough, you might be gassed enough that you would have to do a little bit of mouth breathing. But the idea is to get back to the nasal breathing so that you've got good oxygenation to all the tissues and the brain. Good. Uh, good, good answer. Okay. Uh, Stojanovic asks how to make our breathing deeper and longer. When I try that, it starts getting dizzy. That's a good question. So I, and that goes to that, um, idea and, and, and one of the things when we talk about a deep breath, when Lucas and I talk about a deep breath, we're talking about deep as in deep into the lungs, not deep as in volume. And I think that invariably, if you're getting dizzy, you're hyperventilating when you try to take a deep breath. And, and so people think, and, and this is the great 
um, the great deception here. People think that the more you breathe, you're, you're increasing oxygenation to the tissues. Well, no, if you're hyperventilating, blowing the carbon dioxide off, you're decreasing blood flow to the brain. And, and that's where, and sometimes you would, you would hear with some of these, um, stronger breathing techniques and they say, well, you're, you're dizzy from the blood flow to the brain. No, you're dizzy from the decreased blood flow to the brain. And so when we say deep, use, the diaphragm, the way that we showed you here, draw the, the air into the lower poles of the lungs. Um, so it's deep as in far from the top, not deep as in a large volume breath. Exactly. Remember that if you breathe 30 uh, breaths per minute or five breaths per minute, you have the same amount of oxygen in your blood. But the difference is if you take 30 breaths per minute, you are taking too much carbon dioxide out of your bloodstream and that doesn't allow you to get better oxygenation so that's what i call a, the paradox of breathing breathe less to have more oxygen yeah. okay that's a, that's a good a good one okay uh, apart from very heavy lifting for your power lifters what are the benefits of inhale breath holes example box breathing well, I, so I, I don't know, um, I don't know that there are many benefits of inhale breath holds and, and box breathing is, is more, it's not really, you're, you're holding on the inhale and you're holding on the exhale. And, and it's more really, I think of a cadence breathing technique than it is, um, um, an inhale when, when you're talking about inhale versus exhale breath holds of course the whole um basis of simulated altitude and of working to um increase that bolt score is that you're you're holding the breath on the exhale and so you're you you are becoming what's known as hypoxic hypercapnic so low oxygen high carbon dioxide and 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 that's why we do the breath holds on the exhale but the box breathing i i think of more as a cadence breathing than than as a as a breath hold per se does that jive with you lucas or do you have a different opinion of that yeah. no i think it's okay i mean when you breath hold after the exhalation you have better adaptations in your body. I mean, when you breath hold in the inhale, you can have an hypercapnic effect, but not epoxic. I mean, if you're doing a very strong breath hold, but I always prefer, I mean, the oxygen advantage we always do, almost always do breath holds after the exhalation, that uh, you have a better uh, carbon dioxide buildup. So it's very good. Okay, uh, Arun Bax say, I understand tongue posture has a connection, connection to functional breathing. Yeah. Yeah. You want to answer that? So we, I mean, we just, yeah, we talked about that, how that opens up the airway, um, relaxes those muscles. Most importantly, I think is, is that when your tongue is resting against the roof of your mouth, that's when the airway is at its, its widest that opens up the airway. And, and that's why trying to, to maintain that posture at night is so important that decreases, um, airway collapse and, that, that's the goal yeah. is to have that posture at night. Okay. Remember that your airway is like this size normally. And just some, a little piece of obstruction can change everything. Yep. And you can feel it. If you have the tongue down, you can feel a little bit of 
difficulty to breathe. And when you put the tongue in the roof of the mouth, you feel like a little bit open. And when you are doing exercise or something or sleeping, that makes the difference. And another important aspect of the tongue is the shape of the face, the craniofacial growth. And a lot of, of parents doesn't know this, but if you keep a breath through his mouth and doesn't have the, the tongue in the, in the rest position in the roof of the mouth, that will change the whole aspect of the face and will impact his breathing, his concentration, anxiety, HD, uh, HD, I don't remember the, the yeah, ADHD, yeah, ADHD. So yeah. it's very important to have the, the tongue on the roof of the mouth, not just for breathing or performance, but for health. Um, okay, I think that was all. <laughs> if you have final thoughts, final words, was an amazing talking, I think, uh, conversation. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy to talk with you because you have a lot of knowledge and I can feel that expertise and love of what you do. So you want to say goodbye to all the followers. Thank you very much. And thank you to you for, for all of the work that you do. And I feel the same about you. I, I've enjoyed our conversations and I'd love to do it again sometime. We, an hour went pretty fast. So we could, uh, yeah. we could delve into, into things again for sure. But yeah, thank you very much. And thanks for the questions. And it was great. Yeah. Thank you. I remember once I called you for a question I had and I say, well, let's, let's have a, uh, Quick conversation. It was like three hours. <laughs> so, there's no quick conversation. Whatever. Yeah, there's no, there's no <laughs> between us. So. But I love it. Thank you for joining me today in this breathtaking conversation with Paul's life. If you want to know more about Paul's work in Canada, visit breathexchange.com. Breath, the letter X, change.com. See you soon in the next chapter. Thank you for listening.